0: We greet you again this evening in the precious name of Jesus. He was dead and is alive, amen, forevermore. So it's a blessing to gather in his name. He is reigning, it says in Hebrews 2, we see not yet all things put under him. But it also says all things are put under him, have been put under him. We just don't see it yet. It's coming, it's going to be, continue to happen. Well thank you for coming this evening, this Saturday evening. I know especially you younger families, it's a lot of commitment to get ready and feed the family and get the children ready and so it makes a busy week, a full week for you. So thank you for your your support and for being here tonight. I have a little meditation for you before we we'll turn to uh, Isaiah 52 here in just a moment, but uh, just a little meditation for you. If you Who can tell me where the first reference for love is found in the Bible? Anyone offhand? First reference for love. Okay. I have somewhere I'm going with this, not just a cute little study. But it's found, to my understanding, what I can find, it's found in Genesis 22. God told Abraham, take Isaac, your only son, the son that thou lovest and take him an offering up." And it's interesting to me that God introduces love. Such a powerful word it tells us in 1 John 4 that God is love. And there's so much of his love manifested for us through the scriptures, through the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's that, that word is introduced in the Bible, not the love shared in a in marriage, not the love between a man and a woman, not the love that we may think of first sometimes, but the love of a father for his son. In the New Testament, the first reference for love in Matthew is when the heavens opened and God's voice spoke, this is my beloved son. And it's the same way in Mark, it's at his baptism, it's the voice of God, this is my beloved son. It's the same way in Luke, The first reference for love is God's voice speaking out of heaven, confirming his love for his son. And we get to John, the gospel according to John, the first reference for love is God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him should not perish, have everlasting life. You ponder that. God so loved that he gave, and God told Abraham, take your son whom you love and sacrifice him. Let's turn to Isaiah 52. We wanna focus in here, uh, taking most of our meditation tonight, our thoughts from Isaiah 52 verses 13 on through Isaiah 53. But we want to say a few things about the first 12 verses of Isaiah 52. I can almost see this a little bit as an introduction to Isaiah, to the the passage that talks about uh, the suffering of God's servant. The the title tonight is God's Servant, a Sacrificed Savior. God's Servant, a Sacrificed Savior. Now, I mentioned uh, one of the evenings that uh, God speaks of His servant in the book of Isaiah, and it's generally it, it, it does refer to Isaiah the prophet a few times that God calls Him My servant. But generally, in the book of Isaiah, when God talks about My servant, it's Israel as a nation, or it's the Messiah who's coming. I mentioned that. The other thing I mentioned, I don't know if you were here that evening, but in the in the layout of the book of Isaiah, I'll just mention it here. Uh, you have the first 39 chapters. Uh, Kind of focusing on God's judgment in his, his, his throne of judgment in, in, uh, in uh, yeah, in God's judgment. There are beautiful passages of, of, of prophecy, of promise and of mercy sprinkled through that. But so those 39 chapters may be symbolizing or representing the, the 39 books of the Old Testament. And then the last 27 chapters of Isaiah uh, may be repre- representing the 27 books of the New Testament. And the last 27 books of uh, chapters of Isaiah are messianic. They're, they're considered that. Well, in the middle of those last 27 chapters of Isaiah, right in the middle, there's 12 chapters, then you have Isaiah 53, and then there's 12 chapters more. So right in the middle of that, right in the middle of it, you have Isaiah 53. I think that that's not just coincidence that it is that way. And that's amazing to me, but... Someone has said, I might have quoted this before, but, it, but Christianity is the only religion that has at its center the humiliation of its own God. It's an amazing story. We're gonna to try to talk about it a little bit here tonight. <clears throat> so I, uh, you're there in Isaiah 52, let's read the first six verses. Here I see kind of a, I just summarized it to say that deliverance is coming. I see in here uh, words of hope given especially to, uh, to uh, Israel as a people. Says, awake, awake! Put on thy strength, O Zion! Put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For henceforth there shall be no, for henceforth there shall no more come into thee the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake thyself from the dust. Arise and sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose thyself from the bands of thy neck, O captive daughter of Zion. They had been uh, through their judgments of God. They ended up. They were going to be ending up in in. Um, captivity. They're going to be ending up in the dust because of the judgments of God. And, but God's saying here, I'm not finished. There's, this is not the end of the story. He, uh, he makes a garden out of wilderness. He likes to raise things out of the dust and do something beautiful out of it. Verse three, for thus saith the Lord, ye have sold yourselves for naught and ye shall be redeemed without money. For thus saith the Lord God, My people went down aforetime into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. Now therefore, what have I here, saith the Lord, that my people was taken away for naught? They that rule over them make them how, saith the Lord, and my name continually every day is blasphemed. There was no glory coming out of that. And it references here to... uh, the, they're going down into Egypt and being taken into captivity there and then also the Assyrian captivity But he's saying um, they that rule over them there's no glory in a sense coming out of that for the Lord and he wasn't going to leave them there so I see in here that deliverance is coming deliverance is coming verse 6 I don't think I read that <clears throat> verse 6 therefore my people shall know my name Therefore they shall know in that day that I am he that doth speak. Behold, it is I. So we see there, there's a proclamation made here that deliverance is coming. Something, there's a, the gospel is coming. The gospel be realized in the coming. It's coming. And it says there in verse six that my people will know my name. My name will be revealed to them. My name will be uh, opened up to them. My name will be shown to them. It, and and we, I just want to remind you that in Isaiah 1, it tells us there that they, um, Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. That was the problem. They had, they had lost their knowledge and understanding of God, and they ended up in, under the judgments of God. But here's a prophecy saying, he's going to do something about that. He's going to reveal his name to them. And in that day, they shall know that I am he that doth speak. I'm, him, I'm the one sending the message. Behold, it is I. It is I. This is how the Lord reveals himself in our times of tribulation and difficulty. He uses each circumstance to increase our knowledge of himself, of his character, of his power, and of his grace. He wants to make his name known to us. And I think of what um, Jesus told the apostles, uh, I'm sorry, Jesus prayed in John 17. He says, praying to the Father, he said, I came, I have manifested your name to those which you have given me. And it's telling us here that my people will know my name. I'm going to show them my name. I'm going to teach them my name. And he's going to do it through his servant. Behold, it is I. Interesting how at different times when Jesus was with his disciples, when they were facing uh, uh Uh, Trying time, I think, on the boat there in the Sea of Galilee when it was full of water and the storm was raging. He says something like this. He said at different times to his disciples when they were in trouble. He says, "Be not afraid. It is I. It is I. I am. I am is here. It is I. Be not afraid." And that's how this sixth verse ends: "Is is, it is I? Deliverance is coming." Let's look at the next uh, verses seven through twelve. Here we see salvation published and revealed. It's coming it tells us here in verse seven, it talks about the gospel. This deliverance is coming. This is coming through, through the Lord Himself, through His servant. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, "Thy God reigneth. Your God is reigning. Your God is in control. And here we have this verse that's quoted again in Romans chapter 10. And we have the word gospel in here several times. So, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of them that bring the gospel and the message. It's coming. Verse 8 Thy watchmen shall lift up the voice. With the voice together shall they sing, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord shall bring again Zion. Break forth into joy. Sing together, ye waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord hath comforted his people. He hath redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord hath made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Beautiful words. Beautiful words. Depart ye, depart ye. Go ye out from thence. Touch no unclean thing. Go ye out of the midst of hurry. Be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. For ye shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight. For the Lord will go before you. And the God of Israel will be a real reward. So here we see the, just the proclamation that salvation is being published and proclaimed. Salvation is being revealed. And how beautiful up on the mountains, even on the mountains of Virginia, amen? How beautiful up on the mountains are the, those who publish the gospel of salvation, the gospel of redemption, the gospel that says, Thy God reigns. Your God reigns. Your God is in control. Your God is reigning with grace and power. Hallelujah. I want to note here that, you know, salvation is a revelation of God's grace and power. We see it here in uh, verse 10 especially. It says in Ephesians 2, 7, that in the ages to come, God would, might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And I don't know what you think of salvation sometimes, but salvation is one tremendous Demonstration and revelation of God's power in His love and His grace. But it's, it's a tremendous demonstration of His power. Um, let's turn back for a, a, a reference to that in uh, Isaiah 43. I want to just read a few verses. God likes to show His power and His wisdom through salvation, through redeeming His people. Isaiah 43, reminding The nation of Israel hear of their redemption from uh, Egypt. Verse 1 But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel. Thy savior, I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee, since thou wast precious in my sight. Thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee, and people for thy life. God is a God of, of redemption. He likes to be known by the name of Savior. He likes to be known as the saving God, the one who salvages, the one who, you know, I think of this sometimes, maybe it's a crude illustration, but uh, we 're sorting fish we 're moving little fish down, and we pull the coals out sometimes drop them there in a basket and once in a while I, I look down and I see one I think we should save, and I reach down and I pick it up and throw it back in the tank. I just think of, of god 's heart to save god 's desire to to redeem and to he desires to do that it's a it 's a revelation he is our savior he is the savior now we said here in, back in isaiah fifty two it says in verse ten That he made bare his holy arm. You know, when God went about to redeem us, when he came, when he went about to bring salvation for humanity, he didn't just reach out one little finger and lend us this finger. It tells us, uh, it tells us that God made bare his holy arm and he's going to show the whole world just one tremendous revelation of his power. He's going to make bare his holy arm. I like that in verse 10. It says, In the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of the Lord. This is going to be a powerful redemption and salvation. And so we see salvation published and revealed here. Now let's look at Isaiah 52, verses 13 uh, 13 through 15. And these are very closely connected to Isaiah 53. And here we're introduced to God's servant, the Savior. Here we're introduced to him in a, in, a, in a powerful way. So we saw here in these verses in Isaiah 52 that deliverance is coming. Salvation is published and revealed. It's quite a preview. It's quite an introduction. And, and now the stage is set. The Lord is, has the attention of his people here. And he's telling them what's coming. And then it says in verse 13, he says, Behold my servant, behold Behold means low, to gaze upon, to look upon. My servant is God's servant. It goes along with Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. That verse in Isaiah 45, 22, that was the verse God used to bring uh, Charles Spurgeon. You've heard that name? A famous preacher in England in the 1800s. He was just a little boy. He was a young boy in... Uh, he, it was a, a bad snowstorm one morning and he, he started out for church and he wasn't able to make it to the, to the normal congregation that he attended. No, actually he was attending this small Methodist congregation and the snow was bad and so just a few people showed up and the, the, the pastor didn't even make it to the church. But um, the, there was one of, the, one of the brothers came and so no one else came. So he got up and expounded one verse of scripture, Isaiah 45, look unto me, All And be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Look unto me. And this starts with that. It says, Behold my servant. Look to my servant. John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Look upon him. Gaze upon him. Worship him. Surrender your life to him. Yield to him. Follow him. Behold him. In John 12, Jesus was speaking there to those Greeks that came to see him. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And I thought of a story in there. I thought of of what it means to look to Jesus, the power of just looking to this servant, God's servant. I'll just read this account quickly. This was uh, an account from the life and ministry of D.L. Moody. It just has touched me in my own meditations. After the battle of Murfreesboro in the Civil War, Moody's writing here, I was stationed in the hospital. For two nights, I had been unable to get any rest. And being really worn out, on the third night, I had lain down to sleep. About midnight, I was called to see a wounded soldier who was very low. At first, I tried to put the messenger off, but he told me that if I waited, it might be too late in the morning. I went to the ward where I had been directed, and I found the man who had sent for me. I shall never forget his face as I saw it in the night, the dim, uncertain candlelight. I asked, what can I do for him? I asked what I could do for him, and he said he wanted me to help him die. I told him I would bear him in my arms into the kingdom of God if I could, but I couldn't. And then I tried to preach the gospel. He only shook his head and said, he can't save me, I've sinned all my life. My thoughts went back to his loved ones in the north and I thought that even then his mother might be praying for her boy. I repeated promise after promise and prayed with the dying man. But nothing I said seemed to help him. Then I said that I wanted to read to him an account of an interview which Christ had one night while here on earth, with a man who was anxious about his eternal welfare. And I read the third chapter of John, how Nicodemus came to the master. As I read on, his eyes became riveted upon me. He seemed to drink in every syllable. When I came to the words, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. He stopped me. And he asked, is that there? Yes, I said. Well, he said, I never knew that was in the Bible. Read it again. Leaning his elbows on the side of the cot, he brought his hands together in a firm grasp. And when I finished, he exclaimed, that's good. Won't you read it again? Slowly, I repeated the passage a third time. When I finished, I saw that his eyes were closed and the troubled expression on his face had given way to a peaceful smile. His lips moved, and I bent over him to catch what he was saying and heard a faint whisper. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. He opened his eyes and said, That's enough. Don't read any more. Early next morning, I again came to his cot, but it was empty. The attendant in charge told me the young man had died peacefully he said that after my visit, he had rested quietly, repeating to himself now and then the glorious proclamation, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Look, look to my servant, behold, this servant, the Lord's servant. Now it says here, let's read these three verses. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high as... As many were astonied at thee. His vision, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations, the kings shall shut their mouths at him, for that which had not been told them shall they see, and they and that which they had not heard shall they consider. And so here we have uh, kind of again just this is just at the beginning here of Isaiah fifty-three, introducing God's servant. He says, My servant. And it says here that he shall deal prudently. And that means wisely or prosperously. Jesus said, I came to do thy will, O God. And at the end, he said, it is finished. He was successful. He accomplished the purpose for what he came. He shall deal prudently. He shall prosper in that which he comes to do. <clears throat> it reminds us here in verse 14, as many were astounded at thee. It reminds us of the, of the crucifixion. And that word astoning simply means to stun, to devastate, to be amazed, to wonder. This man on the cross, what happened here? I mean, he was beaten to a pulp and he's hung on a cross. They were astonished. Wow. Verse 15, his sacrifice was an atonement for all. We see it here. He says he will sprinkle many nations. Hallelujah. Aren't we thankful? His atonement has reached into all the world. It has reached to our lives, to our generation, to, to, uh, into our lives. It, it reminds us here that his sacrifice was an atonement for all. And this would include the Gentiles. They would be brought in and included in the atonement. It's an amazing story, isn't it? Praise God for his love. He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So let's note a few things here. In Isaiah 53, we might keep the service a little shorter. We'll see how it goes here. Isaiah 53, I have this broken few sections. We'll look at the first three verses. As we consider God's servant, the passage very familiar, we're all very familiar with. We just want to look at it again tonight. My heart tonight is that as we look at this, as we meditate on it, that it would cause us to worship God. It would cause us to renew our commitment in our devotion to Him. And if there's anyone here that's never been born again, anyone here that hasn't bowed their life to allow God's love to come in, to allow His blood to cleanse from their sins, we want, God, we want to offer that, present that opportunity here tonight But to the rest of us, we want to sit, we want to meditate, we want to reflect, we want to renew our commitment and devotion to the one that loved us and gave himself for us. First thing we notice here, first three verses, God's servant, interesting thing. You know, it can be a a little scary to be God's servant. Because God's servant, God does interesting things with his servant. He had, he got this servant of the Lord, sacrifice for sin and many times for us to be god's servants to be the servants of god also we heard about that this morning the q a also includes a cross doesn't it he leads us to the cross so that we could have that resurrection life first three verses god's servant despised and rejected of men who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the lord revealed For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. So it tells us here, because of their unbelief. He came, was barely recognized. There were a few that recognized him. I want to mention that here in a little bit. But for the most part, who believed their report? It wasn't a big group, was it? It There were crowds that came at times. There were crowds that came because they saw the miracles. But then when he taught them and cost of discipleship, called them to commitment, the crowds dwindled away. So much so that one time he turns to his 12 apostles and said, are you also going to leave? Very few people wanted to be completely associated with Jesus. They, were, they wanted the miracles. They wanted the bread. They wanted, the, they wanted that. But when it came to following Christ, it was a challenge. It, was, it would have been a challenge in that day. We have to acknowledge that. It's a challenge today sometimes to be identified with him. <clears throat> now it tells us in verse 2 that there was no outward natural traits, there was no, he was not uh, extra, extra muscular or tall or, you know, some, it was no outward character, uh, traits in his natural man that that drew people to himself, it made him stand out when he walked through the crowd, so to speak. He, he, he veiled his glory uh, m- uh, many times in his ministry. His glory is revealed, his power is revealed through his the healings and the miracles and so on. So there's evidences of that. But he was no superman, so to speak. He was one of us. He identified with humanity completely. There was no special thing that made him stand out in a crowd physically, I don't think, other than his godliness and his his holiness. So that's just mentioning that there. Not only was he not recognized, these verses tell, verse 3 tells us, not only was he not acknowledged in verse 2, not only was he overlooked, not only was he uh, missed by the majority, but it says in verse 3, he was actually despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows. It's an amazing thought that God would come to his own people and that they would reject him and despise him and the, the contempt in their hearts. And yet he was there to redeem them. amazing love and mercy. They esteemed him not, but praise God, there were a few saints, there were a few saints alive that were walking with God, that had a living, vibrant faith in in the living God. There were a few saints alive, like Simeon there in the temple, and he saw him, and he said, mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all thy people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. This little baby, this is the glory of thy people Israel. But there weren't very many. There weren't very many that saw it. There, but, but there were a few. This little, this is the glory of thy people Israel. This is the light to lighten the Gentiles. This is, this is the one you have prepared. This is the salvation of the Lord. It's amazing. He saw it. Anna, the prophetess, was there too. She recognized him. There were few, but by the majority, he was despised and rejected of men. But God was pleased with him. It says in Psalm 22, verse 24, it says, He, God, hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard him. He heard him. And God, multiple times. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God was with him. God confirmed his love to him. God strengthened him for the task that he had called him to do. God blessed him and witnessed his love to him. As men rejected him, men despised him, men lightly esteemed him. Happens today, doesn't it? Are we ashamed of Jesus? Are we willing to be associated with him when others? Will despise us or reject us for it. God help us. Okay, let's look at the verses four through six here. God's servant, God's servant has borne our griefs and our sorrows. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Verse 5: But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And in these three verses, I, I, never, I, I, I can't read through them without being impacted and amazed at the, the, the pronouns in there, the plural pronouns. Our. Isn't that amazing? We were there, brothers and sisters. We were there, friends. It was, He has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. We, we can put our name in there tonight. We were there in Isaiah 50. We were there when this prophecy was made. We were there at the cross. We were there when he died because he bore our sins. He carried our griefs. He was wounded for our transgressions. And by his stripes, we are healed. We can put our name in there tonight. Think of what first what Peter wrote in First Peter with these verses about bearing our sins and our iniquities. He bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. First Peter two says it like this, <clears throat> verse twenty one. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we sh- ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree. There we have it, verse 24. His own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. That we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but you are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Praise God. Our shepherd... The shepherd of the sheep gave his life for us. You know, it's interesting to me to think about, we are called to be sheep in the Bible. God's people are called sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd. But before he was, in a sense, before he was the good shepherd, he became the Lamb of God. He became the Lamb of God. That's a blessing. Our good shepherd knows what it's like to be a sheep. He identified with us. Before he was the shepherd, so to speak, he became the Lamb of God. We all, like sheep, had gone astray, verse 6 says, turned everyone to his own ways. Is there anyone here that didn't include? It included everyone, didn't it? <clears throat> Think of this. God's servant hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Here's a poem written by Faber: My God, my God, and can it be that I should sin so lightly now, and think no more of evil thoughts than of the wind that waves the bow. I sin, and heaven and earth go round, as if no dreadful deed were done, as if thy blood had never flowed to, to hinder sin or to atone. I walk the earth with lightsome step, smile at the sunshine, breathe the air, do my own will, not ever heed, Gethsemane and thy long prayer. Shall it always be thus, O Lord? Wilt thou not work this hour in me? The grace of thy passion merited hatred of self and love for thee. Oh, by the pains of thy pure love, grant me the gift of holy fear. And by thy woes and bloody sweat, wash thou my guilty conscience clear. Ever when tempted, make me see. This is what I'm getting to. Ever when I'm tempted, make me see. Beneath the olives, moon-pierced shade. My God alone outstretched and bruised and bleeding on the earth he made. And make me feel it was my sin, as though no other sins were that there were. That to him who bears the world a load was a load that he could scarcely bear. That picture, the one who bears the world and the weight of the sins of the world on this man of God, on the servant of God, on the Lord Jesus Christ bearing the sins of the world. They were laid upon him, all our sins and our transgressions. We see here God's servant, oppressed and afflicted. It just kind of goes another step, almost deeper, into the sacrifice of God's son, into the sacrifice of God's servant, the offering. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. The voluntariness of it. He yielded himself to the Father. He, I came to do thy will, O God. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence neither was any deceit in his mouth. Here again, just the humiliation of our God. I don't have a lot of comments on them. Those verses are powerful, they're expressive, they're they're just reminding us of the sacrifice of God's servant, what it cost him. His yieldedness to the Father in verse seven, his silence before his accusers, his suffering in silence, even when he is, you can only imagine. Here's the Son of God, who, and they blindfold him, and they say, "Now prophesy." And they hit him and say, "Who smote thee? Prophesy! Tell me who smote thee." He could have rattled off their names, a generation. You know, Jesus. I don't know how many Roman soldiers it took to nail a man to the cross. I've thought of that, but I think it, it could be quite a struggle. But with Jesus, he showed us how to die. He showed, he, he yielded himself and prayed for his persecutors. It's a, it's, a, it's a powerful, it's an amazing testimony. We could read through Psalm 22 here. You see his cry, uh, this psalm written many. We're not, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's a, it's a reflection. It's a prophecy. It's of him being on the cross. It's the agony, the, the pain. It's the... My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? And it goes on from there. Just the cry coming out of his heart. He, he was a man in flesh. He felt the pain. He felt, this, he felt the humiliation before, his God, before the people. <clears throat> now let's look at the last three verses here. God's servant sacrificed for sin. Verse 10 through twelve. Yet it pleased the Father to bruise him. He hath made him, he hath put him to grief, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, well, divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. It's it's we can um, it's just a God's servant, sacrifice for sin. It's an amazing story. Praise God. Amazing love. How can it be that Thou, my God, shouldst die for me? May the wonder fill our hearts. May it cause us to love him more and more. Several things we could talk about here. Just this atonement that was made is recorded so powerfully in the New Testament in Hebrews. and Beautiful passages there. I might just read a couple of those to remind us uh, of this tonight as we reflect upon the sacrifice of God's servant. The price of our redemption For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, with his own blood as a, on the mercy seat. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin, by the sacrifice of himself. Praise God. What a hallelujah, what a savior. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim, hallelujah, what a savior. First John 2.2 2 says, and he, Jesus Christ the righteous, is the propitiation for our sins, he's the atonement for our sins. And not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The whole sins of the whole world. Praise God. We're on him there. God's servant, the sacrifice for sin, the sacrifice for humanity, the sacrifice for our salvation. Jesus Christ, God's son. Let's turn to Romans 5. I'd like to look at this passage briefly. I think it, it's, a, it's a beautiful passage. Romans 5, verse 6 through 11. We're thinking here of of God's love and providing salvation and such a powerful atonement. You know, it says in 1 John 1, it says it several times, it says if we walk in the light, if if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then have we fellowship with one another both ways in the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son cleanses us from every sin, that's amazing. Isn't that amazing, and He will present us someday faultless at His coming if we are faithful. Romans five verse six. It says here, I see. It says here, for when ye were without strength. That word without strength means uh, it means impotent. It means helpless, and it's the same word used in Acts four nine. Remember when. Uh, It was uh, John and uh, Peter and John came to the temple to pray. And this man was sitting there that was crippled. He said he was impotent. He couldn't walk. And so this is the picture of us because of the fall. It says, when you were without strength, we were unable to help ourselves. We were unable to save ourselves. We were impotent. We were without strength. That's what that's where we were when Christ died for the ungodly. Interesting. That's who we all are. Apart from Christ. We're ungodly. Sinners. Verse 7 For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man, some some would even dare to die. Now verse 8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, the first in verse 6 it says we were without strength, we were helpless. And and, and we have sympathy for that. We can have sympathy for someone who's helpless. But then in verse 8, it says, he commends his love that while we were yet sinners, not only were we helpless, but we actually enjoyed our sin. We loved it. We were sinners. We walked in it. We, we loved our sin. That's a little more sobering. But even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than. being now justified by his blood, he shall be saved from wrath through him. Verse 10, for if when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And so there you have it. Not only were we without strength, helpless. We were sinners. We were actively engaged in sinful actions. And now it says, and that made us the enemies of God. And God died for his enemies. It's amazing. He died for his enemies. Verse 11. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement. God's servant sacrifice for sin. But here in Isaiah 52, I want to point out here that it's, it's, it's prophesying the atonement. It's prophesying the sacrifice. And we don't want to minimize that at all. But in here also, we see the resurrection. It's not ending in the grave. It's, it's, there's a resurrection. Look in verse 10. It says, he shall see his seed. His life will continue. His seed will continue on. His descendants will continue on. We can look at Galatians 3 there. But his seed will continue on. And his, through his life will continue through his disciples. And he himself will be resurrected. There will be a resurrection. In verse 10 there we also see, it says, he shall prolong his days it gives this tremendous uh, picture uh, that was of this sacrifice. And by the way, I just pondered—you know how w- this book starts out in uh, Isaiah, the first chapter, the first four words it says the vision of Isaiah, what Isaiah saw. Can you imagine what he saw in Isaiah 53? He saw the crucifixion so vividly, so expressly. And he prophesied of that six, seven hundred years before it came. It's an amazing, wow. How did, how did he see that? I don't know. But anyway, this is what he saw. And he's prophesying in the spirit of God. There's no doubt about that. God's spirit revealed it to him. But here it says in verse 10 also, speaking, I believe, of the resurrection or pointing to it, he shall prolong his days. And Jesus said in, in Revelations 118, I was dead and behold, I'm alive forevermore. It's, there's, there's going to be a death as it's mentioned in um, In verse 9, he'll make his grave with the wicked and the rich, but there will be a resurrection. Amen? It's coming out. It's coming through. Also here it says, the pleasure of the Lord, uh, in verse 10, the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. God's will and purposes will be realized through him. His purposes will be fulfilled. He will be raised. In verse 12, he will have a portion of the great. He will divide the spoil of the strong. He will overcome. He will prevail. He will be raised from the dead there will be victory, there will be triumph through his resurrection. Praise God. As it says in Hebrews 2.14, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. He went through death. To deliver those that were in the bondage of death. Someone has said regarding that verse in Hebrews 2 that what death did to Jesus was nothing compared what, to what Jesus did to death. <laughs> Praise God. O grave, where's O death, where's thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? He is risen. Hallelujah. So we want we wanna we don't want to end just on the crucifixion, we don't want to take away from that, but we wanna we wanna leave rejoicing in the resurrection. Reminds me of a a little boy was looking at a picture of the crucifixion and he stood there and he was looking at it and uh, this gentleman came up and stood beside him, just looking at the picture of the crucifixion. And the little boy said, that's Jesus. the man just nodded and he said, those are Roman soldiers. He's just looking at the picture and, and he said, they crucified him. They crucified him on the cross man looked a while, meditatively walked away. About six or eight steps away, he heard this little boy come running. He says, wait a minute, sir. I forgot to tell you. He rose from the dead. <laughs> That's not the end of the story. He didn't stay on the cross, praise God. And we have the ministry of intercession referred to in verse 12. This, this, this atonement that came through the sacrifice of God's servant, the intercession goes on. And the power, the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from every sin, from all unrighteousness. That power is still there. He's still interceding. When D.L. Moody was in uh, England in 1800s, 1871, I believe it was, he met a young preacher by the name of Harry Moorhouse. He was a younger man. And Harry Moorehouse told Moody that when I come to Chicago, I want to preach for you. And Moody looked at him and he wasn't sure if he, you know, he's a younger man. He wasn't too excited about it. Well, several months after he got back to the States, he got a telegram from New York City saying, from Harry Moorehouse, saying, I'm in, De- I'm in uh, New York. I want to come to Chicago. I want to preach for you. So anyway, he made it to Chicago. Moody wasn't too sure about it. He let him preach one night. He was gone. He told the, the deacons to uh, let him preach and see how it goes. And, He came back, he had preached three nights or four, I think, and um, he went to to hear him preach. And he preached seven nights, for in his text was John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And he told him on the seventh night, he said, I looked all through my Bible today for another text that could... Could, uh, could tell in a greater way how much God loved the world. And I couldn't find another one. He said, if we would borrow Jacob's ladder and climb up into the presence of, very presence of God and ask Gabriel, who stands there, how much does God love the world? He would tell us, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The sacrifice of God's servant, amazing love, How can it be? I'd like to sing when I survey the wondrous cross. It's 123. Brother Ernie, are you leaving? Let's sing that meditatively. If someone wants to renew their commitment to the Lord, God's spoken to your heart tonight, or you want to make a commitment, just come forward. Someone will pray with you. But let's sing this. When I survey the wondrous cross. Let's note there's some tremendous commitments in this hymn, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a presence far too small, have we given him what we have, if we haven't given him what we have, we wouldn't give him the whole realm of nature that was ours, may God bless you, bless his Word.